With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Has he, he got inducted into the Hall of Fame, right? He's the only undrafted Hall of Famer. He did. He did. You, uh, you kind of spoiled I'm sorry. the surprise. Uh, but... sp- <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I was just so happy no, for No, that's him. okay. It is, it is pretty awesome. Up, nerds, it's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co host, the We're Having a Live Show to It's Happening on February 3rd, 2022. It's Adam Amawala. Adam, how's it going after that beautifully natural transition? <laughs> Seamless plug. It's going great. Everyone, check it out. Go to bit.ly slash horse2322. You may have noticed that in the last episode when I said it, I sounded very robotic where I said horse23 and then edited in to too, because I didn't check that someone hadn't taken that bit.ly before recording. Uh, and if you go to bit.ly slash horse23, that's very different. So now you go to bit.ly slash horse2322. We're going to be doing a live show where we rank every single NBA dance team from worst to first, and I am elated. That's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and this also begs the question, is this bit.ly that was already claimed the new at horse hoops on Twitter? Oh, it could be. I think it was someone selling some sort of merch hmm. when I when I typed it in. So, uh, yeah. Horse related merch? Saddles and such? I couldn't tell you. This was at like one in the morning when I was updating the website and getting ready to publish the episode. And uh, when I was on Bitly to claim Horse 2-3, it was like, oh, this is already taken. And I was in full frantic mode. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's going to be a very fun time. You can get tickets. It will be a completely digital live stream. You can watch it live or if 7 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday, February 3rd is not a good time for you. You can watch the replay of it after the fact or you can watch it live and replay after the fact. You'll have that link forever. So check it out. Bit.ly slash horse 2322. Horse in that is all lowercase and then it's numbers. But Adam, before we talk about basketball, because there is some spicy basketball stuff to discuss that happened the day before we recorded and the morning before we recorded, it's a revelation, new year, new us, no curse anymore, question mark. We got to get prepped and where we get prepped is the Teal Memorial locker room. Are there any trades happening in and around the Teal Memorial locker room or no? Ooh, maybe that would be fun if the locker room starts trading who their vendors are for the towels or scents. It's like, oh, we had lavender and eucalyptus bath wash before, but we've traded both to get this really nice hibiscus or something. I also don't know if that's a better smelling word or not. It's just a more fun word to say. (laughs) Hibiscus sounds like something that would be involved in tea. I think it is. I think you definitely can get hibiscus but that's, tea. But that goes on in the tea memorial locker room, and we're talking hey. about the teal memorial locker room. <laughs> exactly. You know who else is in the teal memorial locker room probably drinking hibiscus tea? I have to think it's our patrons, and uh, most likely our new patrons, because we do have some. We do have new patrons, and I do have a truck on the street that I'm on that is backing up, so if you hear slight beeping, I apologize, but... I'm excited for the patrons, unlike the truck. Maybe the truck is full of patrons. <laughs> hey, that would actually be great. Oh, we've got this new crop of patrons for you. Sorry we ruined the audio. But we have some new patrons. So shout out to Mary Haynes and Sarah Cooper, our newest patrons. Shout out to Liz Asfidel, who has returned and upgraded their pledge from where they were at before. And shout out to Anna Borgigli, who is back as a producer-level patron. Anna joins the ranks of Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang! He sells seashells, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kiyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Mitch Chrysler, Bang! Bang! Bradman Can Jump, Long-Suffering Timberwolves Fan, Roast Beef Debris, Cade the Conqueror, Basketball Is Life 2, Michaela Loves Allison, Denver Steamed Nuggets, and Breezes, and now Anna Borgeli. Love it. And uh, I want to thank a listener of ours who sent us a 
an amazing email. I think you know what I'm talking about. I did send it to you. This was in response to my, that actually happened involving Iman Shumpert winning Dancing with the Stars. And the episode title for our most recent podcast was How Many Chas Does a Person Need? There was a whole debate about what is the cha-cha versus the cha-cha-cha. And I am very happy to report that we have an expert witness weighing in on this question. Uh, and I will read it to you right now. Here we go. So we got an email from Sarah, subject ballroom for a basketball podcast. Hello, Mike and Adam. I just listened to episode 92 of Horse, where you talk about Iman Shumpert on Dancing with the Stars. Like Adam, I have only seen clips of Dancing with the Stars, but I am a professional ballroom dancer. Amazing. So hopefully can provide some insights. I would think so. So from what I can tell, the whole cha-cha versus cha-cha-cha is solely an old school versus new school thing. It looks like it was originally three chas, but changed to two once it gained popularity in America in the late 50s. Isn't that a perfect thing for America to just not even have the attention span for one extra cha? What are we doing here? Too many syllables. Get rid of the, drop the third cha. It's cleaner. (laughs) Yes, thank you, uh, Zuckerberg. Sarah goes on to say, I have noticed that both the World Dance Council and World Dance Sport Federation, the two governing bodies for ballroom, a.k.a. dance sports. Incredible. Not to be confused with Jan Sport, a great backpack company. <laughs> or Bloodsport, an action movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Still list it with three chas for the international Latin style. So maybe Dancing with the Stars is going off their lead. Pun intended, LOL. Who can say? (laughs) Hope that clears things up a little. Let me know if you have any other ballroom-related inquiries. And then my favorite part, dancingly yours, Sarah. One of the best emails we've ever received, honestly. Thank you, Sarah. It's quite fantastic. I want to also shout out some folks replied to us on Twitter and sent a DM giving similar information that confirms what Sarah has revealed to us here. I also want to say that I think that they should do a basketball players only season of Dancing with the Stars and call it Basketball Room. And I think that would be a big hit. Or maybe that's like a new All-Star Weekend thing. You have a dance contest one of the nights and it's Basketball Room. That could be fun. Round ballroom rock and roll. Ooh, ooh, the round ball room rockets <laughs> performance. <laughs> Well, we thank all of you for listening. We thank you for sending us information. We thank the patrons for supporting the show. What a time. And I also want to thank the sponsors that we have for this episode. Sponsors, plural. The first sponsor that we have today is from The Recount, specifically The Long Game with LZ and Leitch. LZ Granderson, formerly of ESPN, now an op-ed columnist for the LA Times and a political contributor to ABC News, and Will Leitch, founder of the late website Deadspin, a contributing editor at New York Magazine, and the author of How Lucky, bring your soon-to-be favorite sports podcast besides horse to you the long game with lz and leich this podcast covers the intersection of sports culture and politics from vaccination hesitation to online betting to all of the isms and phobias that we've come to know sports not only reflect our culture but they drive our culture and you can hear about this every wednesday at therecount.com or by searching for this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and i gotta say speaking of sports betting sports betting recently passed in new york and every ad on everything in the world is sports betting twitter tv billboard it's horrendous. I've been muting everything. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rampant. Uh, I will be honest with you. I'm not much of a betting man, but Mm-mm. them giving away free money that is actually free, pretty enticing. Uh, and I am sorry yeah. to tell you that I did lose $50 of fake money on the Bulls last night when they got blown out by the Nets. Are any of these deals ones where you actually straight up get just free money? Because I mm-hmm. have found that it's usually you get free money if you make some sort of real money deposit. No. Oh, the uh, the Caesars one literally gives you three hundred dollars in free bets, and you don't have to input any sort of bank information or anything. Like you could use their three hundred dollars of free money, and then if you lose it all, just delete the app and never look at it again. Maybe I'll do that one. Yeah, uh, do that one. but they're not paying us to say this. But I like the one where I don't actually have to do any money. Totally. <laughs> We are not sponsored by Caesar Sportsbook, but we are <laughs> sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, we have talked a lot about mental health on this show and stigmas around it. And here's the thing, right? We take care of our bodies with the gym, the doctor, and nutrition. We should also be focusing on our minds just as much. I think you and I both agree with that. Uh, I am someone who, while I have not done online therapy, I have been to therapy. I find it incredibly helpful. I think probably everybody should do therapy, particularly people who don't think they need therapy. Uh, It is a very helpful thing for many people 
And here's the deal, right? BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So go ahead, give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. And as a listener of Horse, you will get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash horse. Once again, that's betterhelp.com slash horse. And we also want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. There's a bunch of fun podcasts from Multitude that you can listen to. One of those shows is Next Stop. Next Stop is an audio sitcom. It explores the turbulent time of your mid to late 20s when everyone is changing around you and you worry that you might not catch up. Across its 10 episode first season, it follows three roommates' as trials through work, relationships, friendships, and more. You can watch them grow as a unit no matter what life throws at them. If you want to listen to it, just search for Next Stop wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to nextstopshow.com. And final note, Reminder, go check out the Horse Life Show, bit.ly slash horse 2322. It's going to be very fun. Jordan Day. Jordan Day. And with that, we can leave the Teal Memorial locker room and get into full court press. Get it like the news. Yes. So there's some spicy stuff going on. We're going to save the spiciest for last. And that is the feud between Devin Booker and the mascot for the Toronto Raptors. But before we get there. There's actually some NBA trade stuff happening, and this morning, we're recording this on Thursday, January 13th, this morning, the New York Knicks not only made a trade that isn't bad, not only made a trade that is good, but a consensus trade where everyone is just saying, yeah, the Knicks won that trade, which I do not recall the last time that has happened. I don't know if I've been alive the last time that has happened. We have acquired Cam Reddish for Kevin Knox, who was not that good at basketball and a first round pick that we had next year. We got in return Cam Reddish as well as a 2025 second round pick, which whatever, and Solomon Hill, which also whatever. That was probably just to make contract stuff match or maybe the Hawks just wanted to clear up a roster spot, whatever it was. We got Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish was the number 10 pick in the 2019 NBA draft. Now, this is interesting because RJ Barrett, who was on the Knicks, was the number three pick in that draft. And the two of them were teammates at Duke. You know who else was their teammate at Duke that year and also was in the draft that year? Who? A big man by the name of Zion Williamson, who has expressed frustrations with the team he is on, and many people have pointed to him wanting to potentially play in a large market such as mm, New York City. Uh, <laughs> now his two friends are on the Knicks. Do you want that injury history? I don't know. Look, I I want him on the team. I will like look. You take that chance. But that all aside, Cam Reddish is a player who has been streaking in the past. The Hawks just have a bunch of guys that kind of all play the wing position. There was just a log jam. They made this trade to kind of clear stuff up. They weren't going to be able to pay Cam Reddish's extension that he will be eligible for the, the new contract he can get after this season. So I understand why the Hawks wanted to trade him. I cannot believe all it took was one pick and Kevin Knox, who was yeah. the number eight pick a while ago, but never really did anything of value outside of his first summer league appearance. Right. <laughs> so uh, I'm a happy boy. And now here's Cam with the slam. Right. Oh, that's I mean, come on, that's going to happen. Or or if he gets an assist, reddish with the dish, reddishing and swishing. Uh, Clyde's going to have a field day. Well, perhaps Zion will be flying. My goodness. I do want to say we are talking about a lot of positive Knicks things. We should give the Bulls some love because didn't they go on a nine game or a 10 game winning streak recently? The Bulls did indeed go on a nine-game winning streak uh, that included two back-to-back buzzer beaters by DeMar DeRozan, a thing that has never happened in the history of basketball. So cool. If you follow the NBA, you will be seeing a lot of 75-year anniversary stuff this year. In 75 years of the NBA, there has never been a person who has hit back-to-back buzzer beaters until a couple weeks ago. Very cool. And I also want to apologize in the past... You had said MVP buzz for DeMar DeRozan, and I made a funny face at you, Mm -hmm. which you called out. That has aged poorly. He's in legitimate discussion for MVP. I do not think he will win, but he will probably be everybody's number four, number five vote enough to where he'll rank in the top five of voting. No question. He's been phenomenal. And that's great. He's been incredible. It's been a lot of fun. I think there's a pretty good chance that both he and Zach Levine start the All-Star game for the East, which has to be the first time since Jordan and Pippen that two Bulls would be starting an All-Star game. I can't think of any other time that would have happened. And uh, unfortunately, we are recording this a day after probably the worst Bulls loss of the year, getting blown out by the Nets. It was particularly interesting because two nights ago, the Bulls beat the Pistons by 46 points. Which is a a lot 
lot of points. And then lost last night by 26 to the Nets, which has to be up there with the biggest swings in back-to-back games, right? Probably. And I did see it was a disappointing thing that at one point the game was close and then the Nets went on a 40 to 8 mm-hmm. run or something like that, which is not not what you want. <laughs> yeah, the game was tied in the third quarter and then all of a sudden the Nets were up by 35. And I have to say <laughs> the Nets at full strength, if that is a thing that happens, I don't know how anyone can beat them, at least in the East. It's quite scary. We'll just have to see what goes on with Kyrie, because as we've talked about before, he is unvaccinated. And because New York is a city that has nice, good restrictions on stuff, he can't play in New York City, which Brooklyn counts. So he can only play away games right now. There's talks of him maybe getting the plant-based vaccine, which is a real thing and not Ah. a bit and not an onion headline. That's a a real thing that is happening. I mean, onion is also (laughs) plant-based. That is very true. So the final thing to discuss here in Full Court Press is the greatest rivalry in sports right now, and that is between Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns and the Raptor of the Toronto Raptors. (laughs) So Toronto's in an interesting spot right now where- Canada? (laughs) Yes. And Canada has pretty strict COVID restrictions, which I got to say, as someone that recently traveled to Canada, fantastic. We went up to visit Kelly's sister and her husband because they weren't going to be able to see anyone for Thanksgiving or Christmas. So we went in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And Canada had recently ramped up their restrictions to where you had to be vaccinated and test negative to be on a plane. I've never felt safer on an airplane knowing everyone's vaccinated and everybody tested negative the past couple of days. So that was a good feeling. Similarly, Canada is no longer allowing fans to attend Toronto Raptors games. So it's back like we were last season. There's no one in the stands. Now, when there's no one in the stands, it makes for a very different dynamic. One of those notable things is when people take free throws. Because if you're a visiting player and you're shooting free throws, usually you've got the whole crowd making noise and maybe smacking thunder sticks together and all of that. And NBA players have discussed in the past that usually that is actually not that distracting because everyone's yelling, so it just kind of fades into the background. What people have said is more distracting, and now we have proof, is just one person trying to throw you off. And that's what the Raptor did. (laughs) So Devin Booker is shooting free throws. We'll put a link to this, obviously, on the episode page of horsehoops.com. The score was 93 to 92 in favor of the Suns. There's six and a half seconds left in the fourth quarter. Devin Booker shooting this free throw. And just as he's about to release, the Raptor, who's the only person in this section of the stadium standing behind the basket, stands up and waves his arms. Devin Booker does make the free throw, but he gets super upset. And then you get to see him pantomime to the ref what the Raptor was doing. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's so funny because he gets so upset the ref then makes the raptor go away he put him in timeout basically (laughs) basically because he's just in the corner and then the raptor is just kneeling in the corner not doing anything so the announcers get all into it it's it's just funny they call a timeout and then devin booker starts laughing about it with his teammates because he got upset i mean the stakes are very high here and then he kind of realized how ridiculous the whole situation is but then to make it even better because of course nba twitter ran with this devin booker changed his profile picture on twitter to the raptor in the crowd so good. And the Raptor changed his profile picture to Devin Booker. Unbelievable. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this is not the first time something like this has happened. And it has actually happened in Canada, except at a baseball game. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, okay. I did not know this. Please let me know. So many, many, many years ago, probably 30 years ago, and we will absolutely find the link and share it with you all. Famous Dodger manager Tommy Lasorda, who I imagine you have heard of, Mm -hmm. was managing a game against the Montreal Expos, who have since become the Washington Nationals. It was an extra inning game that was dragging on interminably. And the Expos had a mascot at that time named Yuppie, who basically looked like Sleepy from the Seven Dwarfs was kind of the vibe. And Yuppie kept messing with the Dodgers dugout. And Lasorda, who was notoriously kind of cranky anyway, had had his fill. It was late in the game. Everyone was exhausted. And he made the umpire throw Yuppie out of the ball game. (laughs) So Yuppie takes his pillowcase and his blanket and sadly walks away from the Dodgers dugout and is not allowed to return. (laughs) It was so good. Absolutely incredible. So that is the big rivalry between the Raptors mascot and Devin Booker. We'll have to see the next time they play. It's going to be great. It's just a a fun moment. And I'm glad Devin Booker was a good sport about it. And it was just 
very silly all around. It is very funny to see a mascot because they are notoriously so happy all the time, be punished and have to be sad and quiet. It's just very funny optically. Yeah, it's weird to try to see. It's like how Elmo has so many different emotions, even though he's just a puppet. Even though the (laughs) raptor's face didn't change, you could tell that the raptor was kind of embarrassed by the whole ordeal. (laughs) Just body language doctoring it. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that happened, and that was full core press. Get it? Like the news. One, two, three, three, two, one, three on three. So for my three on three, as you know, I am wildly excited about my beloved Chicago Bulls, and for good reason. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I thought the Bulls ceiling this year was being one of the top six seeds in the East, staying out of the playing tournament, maybe getting through the first round. And at this point, while I don't think they can necessarily win a championship, the sky really is the limit for this group. And one of the things about this team that has been most impressive has been their depth, which is more important than ever in a season in which so many players have been out in health and safety protocols. In fact, in a recent win over the Washington Wizards, the Bulls bench shot a ridiculous 80% from the field on 20 of 25 shooting. That's good. It's very good. One of the biggest bright spots has been a player named Ayo Dusumu, who grew up in Chicago, played three seasons at the University of Illinois, and was drafted 38th overall by the Bulls in the second round in the most recent draft. And while his per-game averages are pretty modest, he has become the Bulls' top lockdown defender and has been really impressive. All that to say, this got me thinking about other second-round draft picks who were overlooked coming into the league and had great careers. Now, initially, I considered doing the three best second-round draft picks and the three worst first-round draft picks, but there's too much negativity in the world anyway, so instead, I present to you the three best second-round draft picks and perhaps even more impressive, the three best undrafted players. Oh, yes, cool. I like this. This is fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a feel-good story all around. Let's start with the second rounder, shall we? And I do have a caveat for this section. Some of the best second round draft picks have been international players, and there is a reason for this. When an NBA team drafts an international player, that player has the option to stay overseas and not join the team immediately. So as a result, NBA teams are often reluctant to use a higher pick to draft a player who may not join the team immediately or at all. Notable players in this category are the Bulls' Tony Kukoc, who was drafted 29th overall in 1990 and didn't play in the NBA until 1993. Manu Ginobili, who was drafted 57th overall by the Spurs in 1999 and didn't play in the NBA until 2002. Mark Gasol, who was drafted 48th overall by the Lakers in 2007 and was later traded to the Memphis Grizzlies in a trade package for his older brother, Pau Gasol. Mm -hmm. Uh, And finally, Nikola Jokic, who was drafted 41st overall in the 2014 draft and played one more season overseas before coming to America and ultimately winning last season's Most Valuable Player Award. He's the only second rounder to do that, I believe. I think you might be right there, yeah. But for the purposes of this three-on-three, I will be omitting such players so as to highlight the true underdog stories. Got it. So it's not just we slept on this person because we're not paying attention to Lithuanian basketball or what have you. It's more of you had the resources available because this person played in America and you just goofed. Exactly, exactly. And I'll be honest, with you. I thought this would be much easier than it was, but instead I found myself in a two-hour deep dive on the Wikipedia page for every draft since 1989 when the two-round system was first established. See, I just do that for fun sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, I I had a good time. I fully wasted an afternoon, but I I enjoyed doing it. There are so many incredible players who have come out of the second round, two of whom our patrons will hear about in my extended five-on-five, but here's a short list of players who didn't even make the cut. Nick Van Exel, Richard Lewis, Michael Redd, Mo Williams, Kyle Korver, Monte Ellis, Lou Williams, DeAndre Jordan, Malcolm Brogdon, and Isaiah Thomas, who was literally the last pick in the 2011 NBA draft, 60th overall. Side note, Jimmy Butler was drafted with the last pick in that same draft in the first round. Yeah. So if he had been one pick later, I'm pretty sure he would have been the number one on this list. Mm. But alas. And also that's the more current rendition of Isaiah Thomas, who spells his name differently, not uh, Pistons legend Isaiah Thomas. Correct, correct. Good clarification. Coming in at number three, we have Paul Millsap, who was drafted 47th overall by the Utah Jazz in the 2006 NBA draft. While Millsap immediately made an impact, averaging 6.8 points and 5.2 rebounds in just 18 minutes per game his rookie season, ironically, his big break came when another second round legend, who I will talk about on our Patreon, Carlos Boozer, Mm. got injured during the 2008-2009 season. Millsap, who was Boozer's backup, rose to the occasion by averaging 15 15.9 points and 10.3 rebounds in 38 starts that season. Millsap was an all-star in four consecutive seasons from 2014 to 2017. And while he is very much in the tail end of his career, has a chance to win a championship with the Brooklyn Nets this season. It's just a shame that the Bulls will prevent that from happening. <laughs> At number two, we have a player who has made his draft position
position an integral part of his identity, Draymond Green. Drafted 35th overall by the Golden State Warriors in the 2012 NBA draft, Draymond had a chip on his shoulder immediately. We'll post a link to this video, but Draymond has memorized the draft order and names of all 34 players who were drafted before he was, and it's like a point of pride that he can recite them. Widely considered to be one of the toughest, most well-rounded players in basketball, Green is the kind of player you love to have on your team and can't stand if you're playing against him. It's safe to say that the Warriors would not have won the rings they did without him, and there's perhaps no better illustration of that than the fact that in the 2016 NBA Finals, Green being suspended for Game 5 opened the doors for Cleveland to make a dramatic comeback from down 3-1 in the series. To this point in his career, Green has averaged 8.7 points, 6.9 rebounds, 5.4 assists, and over one block and steal per game. Those numbers only increase when you look at his postseason numbers, but Draymond is one of those players whose stats never fully do him justice. Nah, he's so good at defense, and he might be considered one of if not the best defenders of all time by the time his career is over. Totally. You just can't put a number on that. But if you had super advanced stats that tell you all these intricate defensive things that he brings to the table, yeah. Right. Like, I don't I don't think there's quite the same metric as there is with war in baseball, like w- wins above replacement. But if there were, his impact on the game is enormous. And not to be too reductive, but he is the Rodman of this team. So for anyone who watched The Last Dance and saw the impact that Dennis Rodman had, I don't think Rodman ever averaged more than, you know, seven or eight points on the Bulls but his impact was enormous and he was a person who would get under the skin of whoever the best player on the other team was. So Green has won three NBA championships, been named to three all-star teams, has been all-defensive second team twice and all-defensive first team four times, one of which saw him named the Defensive Player of the Year in 2017, which for a guy who prides himself on toughness, there's perhaps no greater honor than that award. Yeah, and he's probably going to win it this year. So that's... That's uh, quite the the record. He's got a pretty good reputation as a very good defender. Absolutely. And we didn't mention it in full court press, but one thing that has changed since we last recorded a podcast is that Clay Thompson is back and it is awesome. It's very good. He dunked in his first game back. It was fantastic. He's just so universally beloved. And we've talked about Clay at length on this show in old episodes. He hasn't played a game for, what was it, 943 days or something? Yeah. There was a whole pandemic in between. (laughs) Yeah. Wild. It's so good to have him back. I I cannot think of a more universally beloved player than Clay Thompson. He has a 100% approval rating. He does. And that is a rare thing these days. Super rare. At number one overall, despite his off-the-court controversies, I had to go with Gilbert Arenas, Mm. who was drafted 31st overall in the 2001 NBA draft. Some of our younger listeners may not even know who Gilbert Arenas was, but there was a period of time from about 2004 to 2006 where Arenas was one of the top few players in the league. And much like Draymond Green, Gilbert Arenas took his late draft slot personally. In fact, Arenas wore number zero throughout his career to signify the number of minutes experts expected him to play in the NBA. I didn't know that was the reason behind his number. That's very cool. Yeah, it's kind of great. Fortunately for him, the Warriors were the worst team in the Western Conference when he was drafted, so there were plenty of minutes to go around. Arenas averaged 10.9 points per game as a rookie and was named the NBA's most improved player of the year during his sophomore season, averaging an impressive 18.3 points, 6.3 assists, and 4.7 rebounds per game. But that was just the beginning because after entering free agency and reportedly flipping a coin to decide where he would sign... (laughs) Gotta love that. You know how you do that with major life decisions? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. The coin told him to sign with the Washington Wizards, and that's where his career really took off. After averaging 20 and 25 points during his first two seasons in Washington, Arenas entered elite company when he averaged an incredible 29.3 points and 28.4 points per game the following two seasons. His career average ended at an impressive 20.7 points, 5.3 rebounds, and 3.9 assists per game. Sadly for Arenas, his career was derailed by off-the-court issues, most notably in 2009 when he famously pulled a gun on teammate Javaris Crittenden during an argument about gambling debts. And to be clear, this was in the locker room. Yeah, if you want to learn more about that, that was one of the first episodes of Horse We Did. So you can hear me describe that whole very fun event. Yes, so if you're not familiar with that event, or or if you have not heard that episode of Horse, it is a very sad story. Both players were ultimately suspended for the remainder of the season. Uh, Even sadder, Crittenden would never play another NBA game and is currently serving a 23-year sentence for a murder he committed in 2011. Uh, Obviously a sour note to end on, but at his best, Gilbert Arenas was absolutely electric, and we will certainly post a video to some of his highlights. For sure. I think an important thing to keep in mind with the second round picks and then also with the undrafted players is years ago, like when Gilbert Arenas was playing, second round picks were 
nothing Mm -hmm. like there was no hope at least now if you have a top 40 to 45 pick you feel pretty good about it and then you start taking some wild gambles on the 46th through 16th pick but that speaks to the depth that's out there like the the talent that exists right now is unbelievable yeah it's the growth of talent it's the fact that basketball has become a more global game so you have more international players coming through in the second round you have teams putting more effort into scouting you have teams putting more effort into to developing young players. Second round picks have such a higher value now that for second round picks back then to become all-star players is truly astounding. Yeah, yeah. And it really, I mean, I think it speaks to that when you see people who usually get five or 10 minutes a game all of a sudden step up when there's an injury and they're putting up 20, 25, 30 points and are amazing and then just go back to being bench players. It's, It's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So now we move on to the three best undrafted players, which was admittedly a smaller list to choose from, but still full of impressive candidates. One thing that I found striking in doing this research was that the common thread between a lot of these players was grit and defensive intensity. And I do not think that's a coincidence at all. Because if you're the type of player who is overlooked or underestimated or perhaps not as physically gifted as other players, the one thing you can control is your hustle and determination. In fact, Udonis Haslam is a perfect example of this, and he didn't even make my top five. Wow, yeah, UD's great, and he's a very tough guy. Yeah, incredibly. Like, that's his entire reputation is as an enforcer, as the person you don't mess with, and has been on the Miami Heat his entire career, I believe, right? If not his entire career, most of it. Yeah. Uh, honorable mention in this category also goes to your boy Jeremy Lin. Mm. Uh, but to make up for it, At number three on my list, I do have 90s legend John Starks. Oh, I didn't realize Starks was undrafted. Oh, not only is he undrafted, uh, get ready for a football reference. He's basically the Kurt Warner of the NBA. I, I don't know if you know that story, but Kurt Warner was famously bagging groceries before getting a chance to be a quarterback in the NFL. And much like him, uh, John Starks, after going undrafted in the 1988 NBA draft, was bagging groceries at a Safeway supermarket in his hometown, Tulsa, Oklahoma, for $3.35 an hour, minimum wage. Very disappointing, especially given how good of a grocery store chain Safeway is. Safeway is fantastic. When I lived in Seattle for two years, I lived above a 24-hour Safeway, which was huge, especially because in Washington, you can sell hard liquor in grocery stores. So I would host parties and just not buy anything and just see what people brought and then be like, all right, let me just run downstairs real quick. And I would also make lots of 1.55 a.m. runs before they stopped selling stuff at 2 a.m. They were up until 2? Yeah, yeah, you could buy hard liquor there until 2. It was a 24-hour grocery store, but you couldn't buy booze after 2. So uh, sometimes I'd make a 1.55 refresh of whatever the party needed. Really really changing the narrative on Shubes being a well-behaved boy over here. I'm I'm a well-behaved boy, but when it's a house party, I get a little loose. Like, I'm not going to buy a lot of drinks out and stuff because uh, my tolerance is quite high and I don't want to spend $100 to get drunk. (laughs) But if I can go downstairs and get a big thing of Jameson at a Safeway for like 20 bucks because I've used my Safeway card and I saved however many percents. Yeah, dude. (laughs) You heard it here first. uh, Horse episode 93 brought to you by (laughs) online betting and booze. (laughs) This is the bad boy phase. New year, new me, baby. This is where we turn heel. I'm recording this episode in a leather jacket. He keeps slicking his hair back and he's got cigarettes rolled up in his (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. Oh boy, getting off the rails. So Starks was working at a grocery store, ultimately did get a chance with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, He did not get much of an opportunity in Golden State and ended up in the CBA, which was that era's version of the G League. And modern fans might think, oh, well, people get called up on 10-day contracts from the G League all the time. And yes, that is true now, especially in the age of COVID. But as you were talking about, at that time, the chances that anyone made it from the CBA to the NBA were incredibly slim. Mm -hmm. In 1990, the Knicks gave him a tryout, and the story of how he got his opportunity is something I had never heard before and is pretty incredible. Quoting John Stark's Wikipedia page, quote, in one practice, he tried to dunk on Knicks center Patrick Ewing. Ewing threw him down and Starks twisted his knee. The team was not allowed to release him unless it healed by the end of December. When it did not heal by that time, the Knicks could not release him. As a result, Starks has referred to Ewing as his saving grace. Starks eventually became the starting shooting guard, becoming a key player on the team and playing eight seasons in New York from 1990 to 1998. So there's this weird butterfly effect thing where because he got injured, they had to keep him for longer, which ultimately gave him a chance to prove himself. And he ended up being a mainstay for the Knicks. That is absolutely ridiculous. 
Yeah. I had no idea. What a tale. And it's funny that he went from the Warriors to the Knicks as an undrafted player because that's exactly the trajectory that Jeremy Lin did. He was on the Warriors before, got cut, was on the Knicks, and then Jeremy Lin's case was other people were injured, so he got to play. But wow, fun story. It's also so quintessentially like New York Knicks 90s that Patrick Ewing would foul him hard in practice. Yeah, not a plug at all, except that this is a very good sports writer. I don't know if you know Chris Herring, who now writes for Sports Illustrated. He has a book about the Knicks coming out called Blood in the Garden. And it's just about the 90s Knicks. And I have pre-ordered the book and I will be watching a now virtual live event where he and Zach Lowe talk about it. Uh, and it was going to be in New York City. And I was going to go. And then, you know what happened. So uh, <laughs> yeah. it's virtual now. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. We'll get there. Um, Over the course of a long NBA career, John Starks averaged 12.5 points, 3.6 assists, and 2.5 rebounds per game, and was a huge part of one of the most iconic NBA teams of the 90s. Starks was named to the NBA All-Defensive Team in 1993, made the All-Star Game in 1994, and was named the NBA Sixth Man, the award given to the best non-starting player in 1997. His signature moment is, of course, his baseline dunk over my beloved Bulls in the 1993 Eastern Conference Finals, and I will begrudgingly post a link to this clip on the episode page, only because, much like the way you reference the Reggie Miller choke game, my team ended up winning that series. It's a fantastic play where he is certainly dunking over Horace Grant. Yes. And thankfully, the most famous image makes it look like he is also dunking over Michael Jordan. But every Knicks fan knows deep down, because if you watch the replay of it, Michael, he didn't really dunk yeah. over Michael Jordan, but but he was in the photo. But if you watch the video, Michael Jordan makes a very late attempt to block it. But in the photo, it makes it look way worse than it actually was. It is pretty yeah. awesome. I, I have to think the garden was pretty loud after oh, that. Oh, yes. One. Oh, yes, indeed. At number two, we have a current player who very well may work his way up to number one eventually, Toronto Raptors star Fred Van Vliet. Bet on yourself, Fred is channeling the recent resurgence of my fantasy team and he did last year. You gotta love Fred Van Vliet. I was gutted when the Knicks didn't get him. There was lots of rumblings, but yeah. he returned to Toronto and oh, you, how do you not love Fred Van Vliet? He's, he's very easy to root for. Really great story and despite an impressive college career at Wichita State, the undersized Van Vliet at just 6'1", 195, which is basically me. <laughs> <laughs> it is so funny. that That's a big person. Yeah, it's not a small person, but in <laughs> However, in the NBA, like even Steph Curry, you're like, oh, look at that little guy. Steph Curry's 6'3". Oh, yeah. Kobe White (laughs) on the Bulls is, I think, 6'4", and he looks like a child. Yeah, it's wild. But he went undrafted in 2016. Uh, Now, the Raptors ultimately signed him to a summer league deal, but were so impressed by his play that they signed him to an NBA contract. During his first season, he bounced back and forth between the NBA and the G League. And he really started to shine during his second NBA season. Despite limited playing time, Van Vliet put up solid numbers and even more impressively was ranked fourth in the entire NBA in net efficiency per possession, which is basically a metric that measures how valuable a player is when they are on the court. His true breakout performance came in 2019 as an integral part of the Raptors championship run and scored an impressive 22 points in the clinching game six. Van Vliet actually came in second in series MVP voting behind obvious winner Kawhi Leonard. And his most impressive moment may have been when in game four, Van Vliet caught an errant elbow from the Warriors' Sean Livingston that left him bloodied and with a chipped tooth, but ultimately rejoined the team to play in games five and six. Uh, We will put a link... Use your discretion if you want to watch it, but, you know, it's it's pretty rough. The other impressive thing about that run is that he was playing pretty poorly in the playoffs, and then his wife or girlfriend, he had a kid. Mm-hmm. And then from that moment on, he was incredible. Dad strength. He was so much better. Like that dad energy just fueled him into just he couldn't miss. Yeah. He shot absurd numbers. And this could be a this could be a future thing because there have been other players that this exact phenomenon has happened to. So it it was very impressive because he was he was pretty well respected as like a good player. Contributor like a good to the role team. player, yeah. Yeah, like, oh yeah, Fred Van Vliet's gonna, he's a pretty good three-point shooter, and he was just complete butt until he had a kid, and then he was untouchable. Yeah, yeah, and he just keeps getting better. And, you know, once again, the toughness and determination of undrafted players was very much on full display in that series. In his six NBA seasons, Van Vliet's scoring has increased every year, and now the Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry are on other teams. He has become the guy in Toronto. Here are his scoring averages in his first six seasons in order. 2.9. 8.6, 11, 17.6, 19.6, and as of this recording, 22 points per game this season. 
Yeah, very impressive. He could average 30 a game. He's very good. And also, he's a good defender. Even though he's six foot one, he gets very solid steals and blocks yep. numbers. I don't know if people underestimate him because he's six one, but he's a sneaky good defender. Yeah, I mean, the main criticism with someone like Trey Young is that he's just outmatched by everyone because of how small he is. But it doesn't seem to affect Van Vliet as much. T- to be fair, Van Vliet is more of like a fuller bodied sort of dude. Like he's pretty he's very sturdy. Yeah, he's, he's sturdy. like a fullback. Totally. Absolutely. Um, Finally, the greatest undrafted player in NBA history is the man, the myth, the Afro, Ben Wallace. Oh, you got to love it. You may remember Ben Wallace from having been arguably the match that lit the fire in the Malice at the Palace incident. But Wallace is one of the best defensive players in the history of the NBA. Undrafted out of college after spending a few years playing at Community College and a few at little known Virginia Union, Wallace ultimately got a shot with the Washington Wizards and Orlando Magic, where he really started to come into his own. But it was not until he was traded to the Detroit Pistons in a 2000 trade that involved Grant Hill that he really became Ben Wallace as we know him. During his time in Detroit, Wallace was a four-time Defensive Player of the Year, a four-time All-Star, an NBA champion in 2004. He led the league in blocks and in rebounds in 2002. And while his production slowed down later in his career, there is no arguing his greatness and his grit. His number has since been retired by the Detroit Pistons. And last year, he became the first undrafted player to be enshrined in the Basketball Hall of Fame, which is pretty astonishing. And we will post a link to the entire acceptance speech because it is absolutely beautiful uh, and very touching. He's like holding back tears the entire time. But we will leave you with some words of wisdom from the incomparable Ben Wallace. And that has been Three on Three. Life is not all about taking. Life is not all about conquering. Life is about competing. Life is precious. Have fun, enjoy. Let's uplift our kids. Be strong, be motivated, stand tall. This is what my mama taught me. Stand tall, stick your chest out, hold your head up. Now do it again. Stand tall, stick your chest out, keep your head up. Okay, Adam. So, Forma, that actually happened earlier in this episode in Full Core Press. We talked about things that are going well for the Bulls. So just to try to humble you and make sure you are down to earth, the that actually happened that I have prepared. If I said, I, I know Greek letters are tough right now, but if I said alpha to you, mm-hmm. would that mean anything? Or what? what if I said alpha three times? Or what if I talked about the three alphas? of the 2016 Chicago Bulls. Oh my gosh. Are you like (laughs) trolling me via that actually happened? I have wanted to do this for a while. I've had this on my notes for quite some time. And uh, I I think right after the nine game winning streak is the best time to do it because you're at the happiest. So this will sting the least to remind you about the time that the Bulls decided to sign Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo to join Jimmy Butler and they nicknamed themselves the three alphas and it went horribly wrong. It it is one of the strangest (laughs) teams I have ever watched. (laughs) So let me give you the timeline of all of this. So in the 2015 to 2016 NBA season, the Chicago Bulls go 42 and 40, which is fine. That is just about where you would either be making the eight seed or just missing the playoffs. In this case, they had just missed the playoffs. Yeah, honestly, it's it's not fine. Like, that's the most <laughs> frustrating season. Yeah. I would rather you be terrible and get a, <laughs> get a franchise-changing draft pick than be just okay. Yeah, being ninth before the play-in tournament, that was the worst situation to be in because you were the closest to making the playoffs, but you didn't do it, and you're not going to get a good pick, or odds are incredibly low that you would. Yeah. So... The Bulls at this point decide that they want to shake things up. They no longer have Tom Thibodeau as the coach. They they are tired of Tibbs, who did go on to win Coach of the Year for my beloved New York Knicks, but they want to go in a new direction, and they have decided in this offseason to hire Fred Hoiberg. Now, Fred Hoiberg, who I didn't realize until doing research, played for the Bulls. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. He played for the Bulls for four years. He once sent me an autograph when I mailed him a basketball card. That is very cool. 
So they hired him as the coach. Fred Hoiberg was just coming off of a lot of success as a college coach. He coached the Iowa State team to a lot of success, setting records in terms of the shortest amount of games to reach 100 wins. And they got back to the March Madness tournament, their first time since 2005. So he had just been coming off of success. And his big thing was that he was basically going to be the anti-Tibbs in that at this point in time, Tom Thibodeau was not necessarily accepting where basketball was at in the era of three-point shooting and moving quickly, which is affectionately referred to now as the pace and space era, where you move quick, you space out the floor, you shoot a lot of threes. That's not how Tibbs rolled, and that's what people in the front office of the Bulls believed was their shortcoming. Because at this time, Jimmy Butler was playing really well, and you had some fun young pieces on the team, so they wanted a new direction. So you bring in Fred Hoiberg, and you think, okay, this guy, he coached a pace and space style offense in college, so let's make a team that fits his style, right? Well, that would have made sense, but then the Bulls signed Dwayne Wade Miami Heat legend. And Chicago native. And Chicago native. And Rajon Rondo. Now, the Wade thing, it was an interesting offseason because Dwayne Wade, at this point in time, he had been with the Miami Heat his entire career. And he had been an all-star every single year except for his rookie season. And he was coming off of still a very good year with the Heat. 2015-2016, he averaged 19 points a game. He did very well. He was playing well in the playoffs. He's still, he's not peak Dwayne Wade, but he's still Dwayne Wade. And the Heat no longer had LeBron James. They had some room, but the Heat were trying to move into a more future forward direction. So they didn't want to pay a lot of money for Dwayne Wade. They kind of wanted Dwayne to do the Dirk thing where you stick with the team you've been the whole time, but you take some cuts in terms of your pay. And Dwayne Wade said, fuck that, and got paid lots of money by the Chicago Bulls to play basketball. Yeah. And I remember this being particularly confusing because it was at a time where the Bulls had vowed to like shake things up and retool and start over. And then they, sign two people who are very much in the latter part of their careers. Right. The whole thing with the... I don't think they fired Tibbs. I think they just didn't renew his contract. But the whole thing with the Hoiberg and this whole new direction was, we've got Jimmy Butler and some other young guys. We're going to get young and we're going to develop this team. And we're actually going to try to make this a new era of Bulls basketball. And I don't know if they just saw the opportunity to get Dwayne Wade when he didn't re-sign with the Heat, but they got Dwayne Wade and then that changed everything. And they paid Dwayne Wade lots of money he was on, I believe, a two-year deal where he was making $20 million per year, which is a lot to give someone who is 35 years old. Yeah. So that was a, a bit extreme. But then not only did they do that, but then they went out and they signed Rajon Rondo. Also, in confusing fashion for a team saying that we're going to get younger, Rajon Rondo at this point was 30 years old, so a little bit younger, but still. And he had been coming off of some interesting seasons. This was the year after his Sacramento era. So he was on the Boston Celtics for a long time and really good at defense, really good at assists, big playmaker, not always the best shooter. And then he had a very frustrating year in Dallas where he got into arguments with the coach, Rick Carlisle. And then he was on the Kings in Sacramento and he had a little bit of a resurgence, really got that playmaking back up. So then the Bulls signed him. And the Rondo signing wasn't necessarily like, oh, Rondo's bad at basketball, but it was more of just, you've hired the three-point shooting young guy coach. Why have you now signed a second guy who is older and not good at three-point shooting? Right. So it was just confusing more than anything. Now, this happens and people are a bit confused, not only because these guys don't fit the mantra that the Bulls have said that they're going to do, but also because these players historically, Jimmy Butler, who's already on the Bulls, Dwayne Wade, and Rajon Rondo, have all had success when they are the most ball-dominant player on the team. And in basketball, sometimes that is referred to as the alpha of the team. So if you put three of those guys on the same team, how's that going to work? Because there's only one basketball. Well, all right. Here's the thing, though, right? Because... Yeah, sure. Give me your Bulls perspective. I have a Bulls perspective and a basketball perspective, right? On one hand, having observed all of this, one of the biggest issues was that when Derrick Rose was constantly getting hurt, 
Jimmy Butler really came into his own at that time. And then there was this kind of awkward scenario where Rose was healthy enough to play again, but Butler had become the guy in Chicago and Rose came back in being like, well, I've been the guy when I'm here, so it's my team again. And there was some tension between the two of them. And the Bulls traded Derrick Rose to the Knicks, and that's when he was very bad on exactly, the Knicks before exactly. now he's been good on the Knicks. Right. So it's very confusing to me that the Bulls would look at what had happened and be like, okay, so we've now gotten rid of Derrick Rose. What if we bring in two players to cause <laughs> even more tension with Jimmy Butler? However, the model in Miami, like you couldn't you say the same thing about Bosch and Wade and LeBron, that they're all alphas, like they coexisted in one. Right. The problem, though, is that LeBron James and Chris Bosch could both shoot from distance and they are all alphas, but not necessarily all ball dominant alphas. All three of these guys like to be the one dribbling the basketball. Right. And it was a bit hard. So Jimmy Butler pushed back, though. He was excited about this. He said in a quote, I said, look, man, I'm OK with whatever role you want me to play. I don't care what role I'm supposed to play, whose team it is. You come here, we'll win games. And Wade stressed that this is still Jimmy Butler's team. And that is when Butler called the trio of himself and Rondo and Dwayne Wade, the three alphas. And he said that he was going to lean on their experience. He said, that's why I wanted Dwayne Wade here. That's why I wanted Rondo here, because they've done it. They know what it takes. I want them to show me if I'm not listening, make me listen. So this whole thing is to try to get some veteran leadership in the mix. Mm -hmm. And you could see that argument, but people were skeptical given how the basketball product would fit. (laughs) There's this fun article that I was reading about it, and they said, Butler is the best deep threat of the three, with a career 32.8 career mark from downtown. And this was written back then. Jimmy Butler's averages have changed now. But league average at that time was 34.5%. So Jimmy Butler, the best deep threat on the team, is below league average. And if you look at the career averages for shooting threes, Dwayne Wade is a career 29% three-point shooter, and Rajon Rondo is a career 32% three-point shooter. That's actually much better than I would have thought for Rondo. Yeah, Rondo has much improved with the game. But both of these guys, they thought, okay, look, we'll just get to the playoffs and it'll be fine. Because as we've talked about on horse, playoff Rondo's a thing. And playoff Dwayne Wade, he just learns how to shoot three-pointers in the playoffs. It's staggering how different his playoff three-point percentage is from his regular season three-point percentage. So they thought, all right, let's just give it a shot. And unfortunately, it didn't go well. Well, but it did. It it did if you like 42 and 40 seasons, because they went 42 and 40 again. (laughs) Okay, in the regular season, it didn't go great. But what I am saying, and I'm sure you'll get to this, is that when the Bulls went to the playoffs, it was working out until Rondo got injured. Yes. The problem is that it was not the smoothest of uh, roads to there. So they started off the season 11 and 9 over their first 20 games. That's fine. Team with a bunch of new players, that's normal, not a big deal. Then they went 8 and 12 over the next 20 games. So, okay, it's taken a little bit of time. And people were trying to figure out what is wrong. What's going on here? Is it Coach Hoiberg? Is it because this team doesn't fit him? Is it the players? Is it because there's a mix of old guys and young guys on the team? There's just so many different things. It was just too many variables all at once. Variables? I felt bad for Hoiberg because I think a lot of people gave him the blame when it didn't really feel like his fault. It felt like he was sold on this promise of here's what we're going to do. And then the roster they gave him was wildly different from what they told him was going to happen. This is true, but with all due respect to a guy who once sent me an autograph, Fred Hoiberg was but as a coach. He made Jim Boylan look good. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Now, here's where things get really bad, though, because there was an infamous falling out that took place during a game and then into the locker room and then to Instagram.com. So this was in January after a loss to the Atlanta Hawks and a particularly disappointing loss where they were winning in the fourth quarter and then they gave up this huge lead. And... I've listened to a podcast about this. If you want to listen to an old episode of The Low Post, you can search for the Nick Friedle, Colin Sexton episode of The Low Post and go to the 15 minute mark. And Nick Friedle, who covered the Bulls for a while, talks about the three alphas era. And he said that after this loss, he was in the locker room because media members will talk to players in the locker room, which is a still wild dynamic that went away from pandemic stuff. And I hope goes away forever because I would never understand someone's just in a towel talking to reporters. Absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Fridell reports that 
in the showers, Dwayne Wade and Jimmy went into the showers together and hashed out a plan where they were going to call out the younger members of their team for not trying hard enough. And they leave the shower and Dwayne Wade is the first person to be interviewed. And Wade says, quote, I don't know if they care enough, so I can't say what it is. I wish I could say that everyone in here is going to go home and not eat tonight, saying you're so upset that you wouldn't eat food. I can't say that. I wish I could, but I don't know that they care enough. And then he told the reporters, I also think Jimmy Butler has something to say. You should go talk to Jimmy Butler. But we definitely didn't plan this beforehand. (laughs) This is not orchestrated in any way whatsoever. Then Jimmy Butler said, at the end of the day, do whatever it takes to help the team win. You play your role to the T. Be a star in your role, man. That's how you win in this league, man. You have to embrace what this team, what this organization needs for you to do on either end of the floor. So that was very much like, uh, hey, even if you're not getting a lot of playing time, you just got to suck it up and do what you've been asked to do. I'm Jimmy Butler. This made a divide in the locker room because it wasn't just old guys versus young guys, but it was kind of like the the Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler camp and then the younger players and Rajon Rondo camp because Rajon Rondo took to Instagram and he posted a picture of him with his old Boston Celtics team where he was the young guy and there was a bunch of veterans, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, who Rondo now hates, Paul Pierce. And he said in this Instagram caption, my vets would never go to the media. They would go to Instagram. No, uh, he <laughs> exactly. said they would. <laughs> Let's handle this like men on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. They would come to the team. My vets didn't pick and choose when they wanted to bring it. They showed the young guys what it meant to work. Even in Boston, when we had the best record in the league, if we lost a game, you could hear a pin drop on the bus. I may be a lot of things, but I'm not a bad teammate. My goal is to pass what I learned along. The young guys work. They show up. They don't deserve blame. If anything is questionable, it's the leadership. So then what do you do from here? You have a players only meeting, baby. That's what happens when there's grumpiness in an NBA locker room. You have a players only meeting. So they had one and it didn't go well. <laughs> Meanwhile, Fred Hoiberg is knocking on the door like, uh, guys, guys, excuse me, guys. <laughs> Please, uh, I'd, I'd like to speak my piece, too. <laughs> so what they do is they have a players only meeting and they decide that every single person, every player is going to speak up and say what's going on. But only if they're holding the conch shell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a bull horn and you have to hold the horn. So the young guys take this opportunity to push back against Dwayne Wade because Dwayne Wade in this quote to the media said that they're not trying hard enough, but Dwayne Wade was not practicing very regularly in this season as a way of injury conservation, which makes sense, but it's hard when the guy who says you're not trying hard enough isn't practicing in 100% of the practices. So they kind of push back here, and the way that we know that this happened is Nick Friedel had talked to Taj Gibson, who is just a legend of good luck locker room guy and he's been a revelation for the New York Knicks of late as a veteran presence he told him yeah the young guys kind of let Dwayne Wade uh, hear their thoughts on his comments they talking about practice and talking about practice so there was some frustrations and burbling and basically the Bulls finished the season at 42 and 40 which was the exact same record as they did the year before they got to the playoffs and as you had mentioned Playoff Rondo was in full effect and they won the first two games and it was great in Boston, in Boston, not easy to do. And then he injured his thumb, I believe, and couldn't play the rest of the series and they lost four games in a row. Yeah. And fun fact, I was in Boston the weekend that game six and presumably seven would have been happening. And I had tickets to game seven. I was going to go with our buddy Chris Chan. Because the Cubs were also playing the Red Sox at Fenway Park that weekend, and it just lined up that way. Um, but yeah, it's weird. It's very interesting to think of what would have happened had Rondo not gotten injured. I mean, there there is zero part of me that thinks that that Bulls team would have gone further than a first round upset and probably getting stomped in the second round. But yeah, it was it was certainly one of the more surreal Bulls fan experiences. And I do want to say about Nick Friedel, the reporter, your boy Nick Friedel predicted that this year's Bulls would be 11th in the East, so he can suck a butt. Yeah, he doesn't cover the Bulls anymore, so I guess that was his problem as he uh, was out of sight, out of mind, and didn't recognize that they would be a very good team. So I'm glad that you've kept the receipts. But yes, it is a big (laughs) what if because that offseason, the Bulls then traded Dwayne Wade to the Cavaliers, which also didn't go well, and then he went back to the Heat. So it's just a big what would have happened if they kept it going. The Bulls also moved on from Rajon Rondo. He was not on the team the next year, and then... Not soon after, Jimmy Butler was shown the door as well. So it was just a really weird year. I remember that offseason, one, being surprised that Dwayne Wade wasn't returning to the Heat, and then very surprised that the Bulls signed him. It was strange. 
And like you said, it was one of the more confusing Chicago Bulls teams that still has a big what if out there, but it doesn't matter because now the Bulls are good and fun and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I preferred DeBalzac to the three alphas. (laughs) I think I think two alphas in DeRozan and Levine uh, work much better. And three alphas is also just such a bad nickname. Yeah, it is so terrible because you have taken this thing. I guess it's like trying to reclaim what's supposed to be a dig against the team. Right. But then the problem was they lived up to their nickname and it didn't work out well at all. It did not. It did not. And that was the very confusing tale of the very confusing 2016-2017 Chicago Bulls. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horror Sources, hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Misha Stanton. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The website is by Kelly Schubert. The art is by Allison Wakeman. And the music is by Bettina Campamanis. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Godzilla Got Busy, Steph Curry for three. Bang! He sells seashells, Eileen Gazesh, Avatar Kyoshi, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Mitch Chrysler. Bang! Bang! Brown men can jump! Long-suffering Timberwolves fan, roast beef debris, Kate the Carker, basketball is life too, Michaela loves Allison, Denver steamed nuggets, Breezes, and once more, Anna Borjali. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops was the fourth alpha, and Ooh. oh boy, we can't even talk about that one. That is at least one too many alphas. Check out our website, horsehoops.com, to links to some of the fun stuff we talked about today, including Devin Booker beefing with a raptor mascot, as well as the link to our live virtual show on February 3rd. Yes, bit.ly slash horse2322 if you want some fun goofiness as we talk about NBA dance teams. And if you want to further support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash horsehoops and get access to bonus words in terms of writing, bonus words in terms of audio, bonus words along with motion pictures in terms of videos. You can get merch as well. Bunch of fun stuff at patreon.com slash horsehoops. We're going to close this episode out by saying something on the count of three, as we always do. How about a little camming and slamming to welcome Cam Reddish to the Knicks? That's very kind of you. So we'll go with camming and slamming on the count of three. One, two, three. Camming and slamming. And hooping for two. It's going to be pretty good. I'm excited to see what rhymes he comes up with, baby. 